Here we are, and we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation, studying all things new. And, you know, when we think about the book of Revelation, we think about eschatology, the study of end times. When we think about the book of Revelation, we think about all this heavy stuff, all of this imagery of Jesus with feet like brass and eyes like fire and you know what I mean and and like all these beasts and bowls and this and trumpets and oh my goodness, what are we doing with this epistle? It's so heavy. But here we are, we focus on Revelation chapter 21. But before we do that, let us pray. All wise and eternal God, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the author and the finisher, the redeemer, the consecrator, the blessed, our brother. Thank you for allowing us to abide in this space. Come by here, Lord, that something said here today would bless these, your disciples. Speak to me and to them. Speak through me and speak in spite of me, that something said here today would bless these, your children. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. You know, when we think about newness of things, I think probably one of the easiest grabs for your, for your memory when we can think about new things is Christmas, right? Everybody loves to get new things at Christmas, and then by January 1st, you're done with that thing. Whatever it is, promptly. I mean, maybe not, you know. I mean, but you, know, you all understand what I'm saying. The, the lure of new things kind of can wear off sometimes. Um, what is it they say about, about weddings? I'm not married, so I wouldn't know. But they say, like, uh, what is it? Something old and something blue, something borrowed and something... All right, you know, and so, all right, we got some awake people out there. All right, this is good. And so when we focus on new things, it's, it's like all shiny and we're like, oh, wow, this is good. And so here we find ourselves focusing on Revelation chapter 21. And John has been banished to this island of Patmos. He's been banished because he's been prophesying in the the regions of of Rome. And so the emperor Domitian said, okay, enough of you. We already crucified your leader. We've done all all the things that we could possibly do. So we're going to send you to this remote island. You know what they didn't do? They They didn't take his writing hand. And they didn't take his relationship with God. And so John had a revelation with Jesus. Say it with me. Revelation. That's right. No S on the end. Okay. All right. So (laughs) it's important. When I was in seminary, the reason why I focus on that so much, when I was in seminary, I had a New Testament professor and man, he just, you know, he had these kind of like like hangups that Christians do with the Bible and like putting an S on the end was like, was one of those things for him. And so ever since then, and it's just, it's, it's like a, a caricature of, of this like Christian theologian. And I, I'm just thinking about, you know, back to school, um, shout out to United Theological Seminary. I know we got some Duke people in here, but you know, anyway, so... <laughs> no shade, no shade. We're all here for Christ, amen. amen. 
All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. So Revelation chapter 21, we start at verse 5. I just chose these two verses because on either side of this, we've got some imagery that, that we're just, you know, we might struggle with. And, and so I want to walk us through what Jesus is saying with his words and what he might also be saying between the lines as well. And so let us read the word. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. I love this because it's, it's in the present tense. And as we read it, it's, it's something that's constantly happening around us. I invite you to, as you read me or listen to me read the rest of this, look outside past me, outside, and be one with nature, one with God, and one with yourself. See, I am making all things new. Also, he said this, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of life. The word of God for the children of God. And God's people said, thanks be to God indeed. <sighs> Church. The book of Revelation is that, th that almost beastly portion of the Bible where as I was preparing for this sermon, some of my, my good friends who are probably in this service known as the old guys, some of them approached me and said, you know, Micah, I really wish that that wasn't in the Bible. You know, and, and that's okay. Like, I can understand that. I can understand that sort of conversation because it's a heavy lift. It's a heavy read. And so instead of diving all the way into that, I'm going to talk about my good friend Bill Lindbergh for a second. I want to brag on him for just a little bit. He's like, what in the world could you possibly brag on me about? Let's talk about Kairos Ministry. How many of you all are familiar with Kairos Ministry? Raise your hand. I love the hands. Oh my gosh, this is great. I love the hands. And if you don't know Kairos Ministry, I'm going to unveil it for you right now. Don't feel left out. So Kairos Ministry is a, a ministry of transformation, a ministry for, for um, men who are currently incarcerated. Our chapter of um, Kairos takes place at Lake Butler at the facility there, and the guys go on Thursdays. I'm checking my calendar to see, is this Thursday a Thursday that you go? It is, and so if you'd like to go, they leave around what, three? 3.30, right over here in the parking lot. If you, but you have to have clearance, so maybe we can't go right now. But with that being said, you know, they go to the, the prison and they do ministry there, ministry of transformation. And these people who, who are, for all intents and purposes, cut off from everything else in the world are able, just like John the Revelator on the island of Patmos, to experience this transformation of the heart that is just unparalleled. They experience this brotherly nature in a, in a place that is supposed to probably keep them away from experiencing that, but instead they have this, what's almost known as a Pentecost moment in, on these Thursday retreats or on their weekend retreats where transformation happens, they're created anew, they serve their time, they worship God, they love God, know God, and love others, and come home. What a story of transformation. What a story of creating things new that, that is so important. 
And but, you know, this is the 21st century. So sometimes, you know, people, you know, they may hear, oh, you've been incarcerated and they want to hold them in that space. We don't do that, do we? None of us have ever held our forgiveness from an individual. None of us have ever lorded something that someone else has done in the past over them, have they? None of us have ever said, well, you know what you did. You know, I'm, this is, I'm being, I'm being silly, of course. But here we are, this, this creating all things new, and, and it's, it's just so amazing to see God's work being done right here in the church through Bill and Keith Doty and some of the other people who go on this uh, ministry of transformation. And that's not the only ministry of transformation that happens here at Trinity. All kinds of ministries of transformation are happening. And so we understand that it's important for us to participate through our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. As a matter of fact, it's so important that it's what we asked our new um, members, new disciples. I really don't like that word, members. We got to, they're new disciples, New disciples, not members. And so it's so important that they, as they come together with us to, to partner in our ministries, we also prayed a prayer with Reverend Marissa that, that we covenant with them to help them grow in their spiritual walk. When I thought about this sermon for today, I thought, what in the world does it mean to be spiritually adult and how is that in the reflection of Jesus Christ in Revelation, where he says, indeed, I am creating all things new. And so for a really, really good point of reference, I went to John Wesley's 13th sermon. John Wesley's 13th sermon is entitled Circumcision of the Heart. It's so important. When I went to seminary, when they unpacked this sermon, Snooze Fest, I, would, I didn't do so well with this one. I, you know, I like the scripture way of salvation. What is that? The 46th sermon? Anyway, so, you know, as I sat there and I thought of preparation, I thought I need to go directly to John Wesley's notes on this sermon, Circumcision of the Heart. What did he have to say about what it means to be spiritually adult? And so, number one, if Christ be risen, and Christ is risen indeed, you ought then to die unto the world and to live wholly unto God. I'm going to say that one more time. If Christ be risen, ye ought then to die unto the world and to live wholly unto God. Living holy unto God means that we love our brother and sister. Living holy unto God means that we live by the example set forth in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Living holy unto God means that we not focus so much on those limiting factors of our faith, but instead focus on the love and the restoration and the light and the hope of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Those mighty salvific acts on the cross, they echo throughout time in a way that Jesus says, as he says on the cross, tetelestai, it is finished. As he repeats here in Revelation chapter 21, it is done. And so it is something that we must make our own, that there is a work being done in each and every person's heart around us constantly. 
that growth is happening. And for us to hold them in a space where they're unable to grow or where we're subjecting them to the law of our own law or subjecting them to judgment or subjecting them to any form of oppression is repugnant to the word of God. It is indeed unchristian. That's a book that I read in seminary, and it was such a wonderful book, Unchristian, Gabe Lyons, David Kinnaman. You can check it out if you want. I don't have any in the bookstore. Um, you know, we can find them, though. And so it's such an amazing book because as they write, they talk about how the church is too anti-gay, judgmental, how the church is all of these things. And so that is something that that John Wesley calls us to not be, that Christ calls us to not be, to live holy unto God? How do we in the 21st century have this moniker of a church that is all of these things, but instead of being the things that we ought to be? So on April 30th, our wonderful pastor emeritus, uh, Dan Johnson, he preached a sermon called The Power of Positive Believing. And if you remember that, or if you'd like to, you can go find the video again, in which he talks about the church being a culture of no, a culture of you can't do that, a culture of we don't have enough, we don't got enough time, we don't have enough spirit, we don't have enough money, we don't have, you know, we, we're just basically like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And so it's like really important for us to remember that we got to be the church and live holy unto God. And so number two, this, John Wesley literally said this. This is a hard saying to natural people that we have to die to the world, to not think of people as their, their broken selves, but to think of them as the people of Christ that they've been called to be. It's, it's a hard thing for natural people. How many of us have an is issue of wanting to control outcomes and situations? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I can't fix it even if you do. I mean, I can suggest some books, you know, um, that we've got an Enneagram um, conversation that's coming up on J June 24th. If you'd like to go to that, that's a good space. You can do some learning there. But I think it's really important. Here we are, natural people, learning what it means to, to say, you know what, I'm not perfect I don't know how to do all of this. this. This life is something that is a learning journey, okay? So two days ago was my 33rd birthday. Yes, indeed. I'm getting old, older, older, you know? And, and so I'm, I'm beginning to learn and I'm, I'm really focusing on, on what it means to, to love people unconditionally to look at them exactly the way that Jesus Christ looks at them. I told the 8 a.m. service, it was still early yet, I told the 8 a.m. service to look at your neighbor and, and tell them you better love. And they struggled with that, so much so that I thought maybe their neighbor had a face only a mother could love. I wasn't sure. Some of them were like, mm, I don't know. And I thought, wow, guys, you know. But even John Wesley is saying it right here, it's hard for, for natural people. I mean, and we're all natural people. It's hard for people to love. And so the third part of his outline is the circumcision of the heart is the right state for the soul. 
And so as John Wesley spoke and taught to the people, he actually, it was um, January 1st was actually the day that he preached this. And I thought, how amazing is it to do that sermon on the first day of the year when people are trying to connect with this time of transformation, with this time of, I'm going to start something new. That guy, he kind of knew some stuff, didn't he? John Wesley. Look at him go. Um, but you know, <laughs> gosh, but it was so interesting just to, just to hear him work from, if Christ is risen, if Christ is risen and so then we have the victory. He worked from that space all the way to it's the right state for our heart to look at our neighbor and love them, to see them no matter what state they're in, whether they're incarcerated, whether addicted, afflicted, whether they have been lifted up or laid low, no matter what they're going through to recognize that Christ is already working and has done a mighty work, so much so that even Christ gave it the stamp of approval and said, it's finished. And who are we to stand in the way of their blessings and forgiveness. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a stumbling block. Oh, see? Don't be a stumbling block. It's so, it's, it's so important to not be a stumbling block to someone's grace and acceptance that I know that you're all working to grow because I have touches with all or most of you. And, and that's my role here at the church. As I said in the pastor's message, who gets the pastor's message? All right, I just, I'm going to sign you all up. I have your emails. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, it's important that we think about, okay, um, adult ministries. What does it mean to be spiritually adult? It means that, that we have circumcised our heart in that we're not carrying around any of that stuff that might be cruddy or any of that stuff that might keep, keep us from seeing other people and the value that they have and who they are and what they bring to the ministry of the church because we are one body. One baptism, one faith, one Lord, one spirit. It's so important. The circumcision of the heart was a sermon that John Wesley would go on to preach a number of times. And, and yet it is, it is so important that we just take a moment and recognize. I've got some growing to do. And that Christ is already doing that work within me right now. Christ is already at work within us. And so I have, I brought with me a, a, uh, a piece of imagery through history to relate this message to you all. The ninth leader in the dynasty of the Mansa tribe from Mali. His name was Mansa Musa. Maybe some of you all have heard this name before. He is thought to be the richest person to ever live in history. It's not Jeff Bezos. It's not anybody else that we could think of. It's not Elon Musk. It was Mansa Musa. That's who economists say it was. He, Mansa Musa had so much gold that he needed, he decided one day he's going to, for his own spiritual adultness, he was going to take a mission trip. And his mission trip, he started in Mali and he needed to make his way to Mecca. And so he had to go through Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, we have this and we know it's recorded fact that he handed gold to so many people that folklore, you know how tale, 
how tall tales get. They say that he literally bankrupted the small township of Egypt. I mean, I don't know how much gold he had, but it says that he did that. But what actually happened was at, at least a recession. And so he was able to, as a single individual, affect change on that great of a scale to see people. And I have to think that as he was handing out that much gold, it became so much less about handing the gold and making that eye contact. Making that eye contact, seeing people, the value in them, that they felt so bestowed that someone would come and see them for who they are, that he would give back. We see this same imagery again in the parable of the Good Samaritan that, that Jesus tells us that, that there are gifts and even Jesus has left gifts for us and we'll celebrate one of them today in the sacrament of communion. That Jesus brought and, and gave us gifts that, that would lead to the restoration of life, that would lead to all things being created new. All things are being created new and I know this is, I love to use the text that is Revelation, the book of Revelation, to kind of fact find that, okay, in Revelation 21, Jesus says all things are being created new, but I need to see this uh, in a number of spaces happening over and over again in the scripture. And so one space that I see it is in Revelation chapter 7 when Jesus is still having that same conversation with John and he says, John tells us, the reader, I see all 12 tribes of Jerusalem represented there, 144,000 people. I can't count that high. I'm, I'm going to be like one, two, three, four. Okay, no, one, two. That's, I mean, that's why, I mean, honestly, think about it. We, we do this in hospitality as ushers, and we actually go back and fact check it. Amen, ushers? I, I know y'all are out there, right? We have several people sometime count. I mean, sometimes I can remember at, um, was it worship in the round? Uh, one of our worship services, I had to go all the way up to, you know, the mezzanine area just to try to make sure that I could count every single person. And so that's, you know, and so John tells us, I saw a number that no one could count, which means that as Jesus is telling us it is finished, I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter how much of a grumble butt you are, it's not going to keep someone else out of their transformation, it's not going to keep God's prevenient grace, that means the grace that's coming before, it's not going to keep that grace from intervening in their lives and keeping them from being the person that's set in the right path for them, just because it doesn't fit you, doesn't mean it doesn't fit them, and it leads to Christ. It is so important for us to realize that Christ is creating all things new and that work is a work that we too can participate in. Just like Mansa Musa, just like the Samaritan, just like Jesus. And it's good to have examples, right? You know, it's really good to have examples to follow because as we have those examples, we can say, well, you know, I'm not as rich as a king, but maybe I can start by helping one person at a time. Seeing the transformation in their life, identi identifying that, allowing it to happen in your life. Because once you see that happen in your life, it'll, or in their life, it'll continue to happen over and over again for you. That transformation is there. Creation and recreation, redemption after redemption, grace is freely abounding for each and every one of you. Here we are just one week removed from when Marissa had her, her headband on and we were celebrating Pentecost Sunday. 
I have a feeling that headband is going to come back next Pentecost Sunday, which is amazing. We, thank you. We might, we might even get, can we get like a church set? I don't know. We could just all of us be enlightened by the Holy Spirit to know that God is creating all things new. You think about the Tower of Babel and how they were scattered. You think about how they came back at the day of Pentecost. Excuse me. They came back at the day of Pentecost and it was so wonderful to see all of these people, Parthians and Medes and and so many different people coming together. and, And they thought, wow, this gospel is for each and every person. I mean, up until that time, they thought maybe it's just for, for the group of people that, that we're in ministry with. And then when they see the Holy Spirit literally lighting on everyone, they thought, oh man, we're not going to be able to keep our assigned seats in church anymore. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> we're not going to be able to keep our assigned seats in church anymore. Somebody might come and take that, but that, wouldn't that be a blessing? Amen. That's a good problem to have. So here they are. They're all standing there at the day of Pentecost, and, and, and the Holy Spirit lights on each and every one of them. And it's not, it's not enough that the Holy Spirit shows up. Holy Spirit shows out because guess what? They all get gifts. They all get things that they can do in the body of Christ, and they get active. They get activated. And we see this stuff happening, you know, time and time again in the Bible. And then so fast forward back to our text creating all things new, that Christ is here standing at the door, literally trying to offer you, here is a gift of water, of life and love and joy, and I want you to have it, and I want to share it with each and every person so much so that the word says, let me get there again, the word says, it is done to the thirsty I will give water as a gift. That means there's nothing you could do. You can't like, you know, you can't click your heels. You can't like do enough works and then boast about it on Facebook. You can't, you know, you can't do all of those things. It's just already there. A free gift of God. And so Christ creates all things new. And we have the opportunity as Christ's disciples to participate in that newness of life. And it doesn't wear off. It just keeps on happening. I want you to think about those disciples who have come before you, who have shared that message. They have been counted in that number. And the disciples before them, they've been counted. And the disciples who come after us, they will be counted. And it's up to us to make sure that we participate enough to deliver a good and right message of love. Until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.